Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 21, recorded Sunday, December 15th, 2019. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, and thanks for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Well, we returned a few days ago from our amazing trip to the Atlantis Dive Resorts in both Puerto Galera and Dumaguete in the Philippines. It was outstanding. We made it out in New York just ahead of the snowstorm on December 1st and got to Manila on the evening of December 2nd, just ahead of the typhoon. The typhoon caused us to spend an extra day in Manila as the storm passed before we headed down to Puerto Galera. But the uh, typhoon didn't do a lot of damage, so we were able to get in our dives down in uh, Puerto Galera. I'll be talking more about the Atlantis Dive Resorts in the next episode of Scuba Shack Radio when I feature it in Your Next Dive. Also, I want to say uh, there was a big win yesterday for the Navy football team as they snapped a three-game losing streak. Uh, to the Army, so congratulations to the midshipmen. We're all pretty happy here in uh, the household here about the Navy win. So now let's get on with the show. From the beginning of my diving career, I've always carried a camera underwater. As a matter of fact, on my first dive in Key Largo, I had a disposable film camera. You just shot at what you wanted to take a picture of and then send out your film to be developed and hope that you got something good. The pictures were very blue and very grainy. So from there, I went on to a digital Sea Life camera with a strobe. It took some great underwater shots. Not satisfied with stills, I switched over to a video camera, and I went with a Sony uh, HD video camera that shot tape because back then the Kodaks for HD video weren't well established, and I bought a Gates housing for it. Then I went back to stills and got a Canon G12. Took some great shots. Still, I wanted to go to video, so I went to a GoPro. And that was really a pretty cool camera, and we still have that and shoot video with the GoPro. But I like still photography a little bit better, and I went with a Nikon W300 without a housing and took that underwater, very lightweight and compact, but I didn't really like the way the uh, underwater shots came out. So while I was at DEMA, I had a chance to talk to a number of vendors and decided to go with a package, and the package I went with is from IkeLite. And it's the Olympus TG6 with the Ikelite housing. Now that package comes pretty, uh, is pretty uh, good package. It comes with the camera. It comes with the Ikelite housing, uh, the action tray two with a left handle, the RC1 TTL receiver, 
And for those of you that don't know, TTL stands for through the lens, and that means that it's a receiver that adjusts the flash power to properly expose the subject. It also comes with a fiber optic core, uh, the DS51 strobe, and a compact ball and arm for quick release. After talking to Gene Ryberg there, who runs IkeLite, we also opened up uh, as part of their Dive Store 2020 program where uh, we will be able to pass on some great savings to our customers. At Gene's suggestion, I also got the wide-angle 3-inch dome port for it, and that was for doing work in the Philippines. Now, when you use the TG6, it has uh, several underwater modes. There's a normal mode, a wide mode, a macro, and a microscope mode for shooting underwater. And there are three filter settings that you can set shallow, mid, and deep. Now, I didn't have a lot of time to really uh, learn how to use the camera before we left. I only got it like a couple of days before we, we actually left for the Philippines. So it can be a little intimidating at first, but I'm still learning how to use it. What I did find, I found it uh, quite challenging to do some of the macro or microscope work underwater. My eyes are a little bit of a challenge, and I think I need a new prescription on my mask, so we'll be working on that as well. Also, I need to take some time to learn more about the strobe, its settings, when to use them, and how to position it. Overall, this is a very, very powerful setup and can be expanded. When we were in Puerto Galera, I, we did a trip over to Verde Island, which is an, just an amazing uh, underwater adventure. And I used a three-inch wide angle in a wide mode underwater and got some really nice shots of, of the expanse of the pinnacle. Um, now, I also was shooting uh, in both uh, JPEG and RAW. So you get two, two images when you shoot. You get a JPEG image and a RAW image. Now, I do some pretty basic uh, photo editing, and I primarily use iPhoto for some cropping and adjustments in white balance and things like that. Not very powerful. But one thing iPhoto cannot do is edit the raw photos. But what you can do is you can download a program from Olympus. It's called Olympus Workspace. And you can then edit the raw uh, images in, in that. I played around with it a bit, but haven't really had enough time uh, to, to work with it. Now, also, you can get an additional dome port, a 6-inch dome port for that, can or that Ike Light housing um, for the Olympus TG6 if you really want to get even wider angles. So now I'm hoping that, that this is the camera that I'm going to use and really learn how to get the most out of. I've got a lot of work to do to, to get up to speed with it. But if you're looking for a reasonably affordable outf outfit for underwater photography, take a look at the Ike Light package for the Olympus TG6. When I was planning this show, I wanted to do an update on the reefs in Cozumel. I reported earlier this year in my blog that the 
Reefs in Cozumel were closing in October because of stony coral tissue loss disease, and they expected those reefs to be opening up again in December. But I wasn't able to find anything specific about the reefs opening back up again. Also, a lot of our divers like to dive in the Florida Keys, and that is also being impacted by the stony coral tissue loss disease. So I thought I'd do a little bit of an update there on that particular item. Quick recap, stony coral tissue loss disease is a lethal disease that was first reported in 2014 in Florida. Now, while its causes are unknown, they suspect that it's a bacterium that's causing the disease. Since it was first reported in Florida back in 2014, it spread to Jamaica, the Mexican Caribbean, St. Martin, St. Thomas, and Dominican Republic. Now, there are some highly susceptible type of coral to the disease, and they are particularly brain coral, pillar coral, elliptical star coral, smooth floral, maize coral. Those are the ones that are highly susceptible. Now, in doing some research, I came across this great website. Uh, it's called AGRRA, or the Atlantic and Gulf Rapid Reef Assessment Program. And it's a program that champions coral reef conservation and empowers those who protect these diverse ecosystems. And it was first started in 1997 by Dr. Robert N. Ginsberg. Now, the goals of AGRRA are to conduct scientifically sound, comparable regional surveys of the health of coral reefs, promote a collaborative learning platform through training, exchange, and open access, advance our scientific understanding of coral reefs, analyze data results, and provide easy access to data, and serve as a catalyst to conserve uh, impacts through partnerships, create effective communications to a wider audience. Now, if you go to the AGRRA website, that's agrra.org, and you click on the coral disease outbreak, you get a lot of uh, information related to the stony coral tissue loss disease. It provides the description, characteristics, latest news, tracking the disease, and provides uh, several videos that you can actually look at on the website. Now, what's so different about stony coral tissue loss disease? Well, first of all, there are many coral species uh, that are impacted by this particular uh, malady. It's got a high prevalence. There's a rapid mortality rate in the coral. The high rate of transmission, and it goes over a large geographic area, and it is taking a long duration. So it's very different than things they found in the past. Now, some good news. Florida has introduced some interventions, and uh, they seem to be helping out. And they're using topical applications of either chlorine or uh, amoxicillin. Uh, they're also using some epoxies to help uh, save the corals. What they're also doing is some amputation where they cut off the, uh, the disease part and allow the rest of the uh, coral to, uh, to grow. And then there's also some relocation. They actually move the coral from one area to another that's not impacted by the disease. Uh, 
Now, amoxicillin seems to be more effective than the chlorinated treatments that they've been using. Um, so there's a lot going on here with uh, stony coral tissue loss disease. I would encourage you to take a look at this. Uh, go out to the AGRRA website, um, and you'll get a lot of great information on this and see just what's happening. We're hoping that the uh, reefs open soon in Cozumel, and let's also hope that we get this disease under control. Back in 2018, we had a booth at the Hebron Harvest Fair here in Connecticut. And a woman came up to me at the booth and said that her father-in-law introduced scuba diving to the United States, and his name was Jim Cahill. That's interesting. So I figured I'd do a little bit more research on that. It took me a little bit of time, but I finally got around to it. First off, Jim was a Navy frogman, or formerly it was known as the UDT, and he was actually in one of the first classes of the UDT called the Amphibian Rogers. After he got out of the Navy, he wanted to continue diving, so he started a salvage business. And then that ultimately turned into a company called New England Dive. And that went pretty much countrywide. They were doing a lot of work uh, around the country. Jim was born in 1926, and he passed away in 2008. And you can read a lot about Jim on his Wikipedia page. Now, according to Wikipedia, Jim was a Naui co-founder. And if you go out to the Boston Sea Rovers page, he was also an original member of the Boston YMCA Sea Rovers. Now, there's a quote on the Wikipedia page says, Cousteau invented scuba diving but Cahill introduced it to the United States. A couple of other interesting things. Um, you know, he started the Hui Kai Scuba Training Camp, which was on Children's Island in Salem, Massachusetts, and apparently he started that with Buster Crabb, who was the actor who played Tarzan. Also, it says that he consulted to Lloyd Bridges on Sea Hunt. I haven't been able to verify that in any of my research with Sea Hunt, but that's an interesting tidbit. Now, one of the things that I came across uh, on the Wikipedia page was a reference, and it was to a book written by Jim's brother, Bob Cahill. And that book is called Diary of the Depths. And it was published in 1972 by Robert Ellis Cahill. Now, it's a really interesting read. I found I was able to get a copy from Abe Books, and uh, it's a really quick read, and it recounts stories by Jim along uh, with several of other stories of Robert himself. And then there's a couple of other divers that talk about uh, some of their adventures in Diary of the Depths. One of the interesting ones uh, is a couple of chapters by a fellow named Frank Sanger, S-A-N-G-E-R. And Frank was a double amputee who lost an arm and a leg when he was two years old in a trolley accident in Peabody, Massachusetts. But Frank became a very accomplished diver and worked a lot with Jim. Now, a couple of the stories, Jim recounts his training uh, as a UDT frogman. And then he talks also about his time in Thule, 
Greenland, where they were sent to blow up icebergs, and also some of the work that he had to do under the ice in recovering soldiers lost in a truck accident. There are also a couple of chapters in there where Jim and Bob talk about the work they did in underwater evidence recovery in a very publicized murder case in Massachusetts. A couple of the chapters that are uh, stories by Frank Sanger recount the work that he did in recovering bodies on a Learjet that went down in Boston Harbor, and then also work that they did on trying to recover bodies from something called the Texas Tower, which was a, uh, a tower built way out in the Atlantic, about 60 miles out, as a radar intercept in, during the Cold War. And the Texas Tower went down in a storm, and they were sent out to try and, and save anybody that might have been in, in the uh, Texas Tower. Unfortunately, no one was saved, but uh, Frank recounts some of the interesting and hazards of that dive. So it took me in a little bit different direction, trying to research Jim Cahill to Diary of the Depths and some of the, the history of New England diving. But I thought I'd pass this along. It's very interesting stuff, and the history of diving in the United States is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Well, that's episode 21 of Scuba Shack Radio. Hope you enjoyed the show, and again, thank you for listening. As always, we'd appreciate any feedback or comments or show suggestions. You can uh, send them along to me either at the Scuba Shack Radio website or if you go out to Facebook uh, at Scuba Shack Radio, you can leave me a message there. As always, please uh, give us a rating on iTunes or your favorite um, podcast application. It would be very much appreciated. Hard to believe that uh, after this show, next show will be after the Christmas holiday. So hopefully you all have a happy holiday and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.